0: Have you ever heard the phrase, don't get mad, get even? In fact, maybe you've even used the phrase, it's a common theme in movies. You know, something tragic or terrible happens to the star of the show in the first 15 or 20 minutes and then they spend the rest of the movie executing justice to get even. Moviegoers love it. They love watching the victim even the score And seeing the bad guys get what they deserve. Sometimes without knowing it. We live a don't get mad, get even kind of life. We say things, we do things just to get back at those who have offended us. We're not mad. We're We're just getting even. Well, you might be surprised to learn that Jonah, the prophet of God, was also like that. He's famous for being swallowed by a a great fish, but he ended up in the fish because he had this get-even kind of attitude. Most people think that the book of Jonah is a book about a big fish, but that's though it's part of the narrative, it's actually a relatively small part of the story. This book is about much more than just the fish. The book is about Jonah is about God interacting with his people. It's not a typical book of prophecy. It's different from other prophetic books because it focused on the prophet rather than his prophecies. It also is about the plan of God and how we respond to it when God extends that to or calls us into it. It's also about the love of God and how we share it with others. We're starting a brand new series called Jonah, where we're looking at this small book, this minor prophet in the Old Testament about a prophet by the name of Jonah. I want to give you a little bit of background to kind of set the tone for this entire series. During the reign of King Jeroboam II, a northern kingdom prophet named Jonah was called by God to go and announce God's judgment to the Assyrians. God commanded him to go to the Assyrian capital, the city of Nineveh, and preach against the wickedness and convince those people they needed to repent. The heart of the Assyrian empire was located just about 500 miles northeast of the town of Gath-Hefer. Now why is Gath-Hefer notable? Because that was the hometown for Jonah. Jonah's story starts when God gave Jonah a mission. And we read about it in the first two verses of the chapter, chapter one. It says this, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Throughout the Old Testament, we see God giving direction to his prophets. Sometimes these directives were challenging, dangerous, bold, and sometimes they were just downright strange. One example of that happened in the book of Ezekiel when God asked the prophet Ezekiel to take a brick and draw a picture of the city of Jerusalem on that brick. And then he he asked his prophet to lay siege to that brick, like an army might lay siege to a city. God had Ezekiel do all of that to symbolize the curses that were coming to to the city of Jerusalem. God said Ezekiel's demonstration will be a sign to the people of Israel, a sign that God was not going to rescue them even when Jerusalem was under siege. And Ezekiel did what God had directed him to, Regardless of how ridiculous it might have seemed in the moment, because God had instructed him that Ezekiel would be speaking for God. Well, in this instance, God wants Jonah to preach to the Assyrians. Now, the Assyrians are a wicked, barbaric people. Yet, regardless of their brutality, God wants them to know that He loves them. So He calls Jonah to go and preach against the wickedness, telling them to repent. But instead of going to Nineveh, come to the second point of our talk, and that is Jonah rebels against God. God said, go to Nineveh, preach against the wickedness, and Jonah says, no. We pick this up in verse three, he says, but Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish, he went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Nineveh is approximately 500 miles from Jonah's hometown of Gath Heifer. But he chose to travel to Tarshish instead of going where God had called him. Now, Tarshish, on the other hand, is 2,500 miles from the port of Joppa. This shows just how reluctant he was to go to Nineveh. Nineveh was compared with cities like Sodom and Gomorrah. And you may remember God destroying those cities by raining down burning sulfur on them. The Assyrians, they were an immoral people. A corrupt people. In fact, the book of Nahum is all about prophecies of judgment and destruction on the city of Nineveh. It's not a surprise that Jonah had some misgivings about making a trip to Nineveh. So instead, he just ignored God's call and went in the exact opposite direction. It was clear from the start, Jonah was unwilling to go to Nineveh because the Bible doesn't mince words talking about this when he says he sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. The question is not what was he doing, but why was he doing it? Why was was Jonah so adverse to going to do God's bidding in the city of Nineveh? Most of the time when God gave a mission to one of his prophets, the prophet would put God's plan into motion, but Jonah not only rejects God's directive, but he goes in the exact opposite direction. Take a look at this map. You can see where Gath Hefer is right here and how the proximity northeast is Nineveh. But on the other hand, he chose to go all across the Mediterranean to Tarshish. You can see the difference. Obviously, the text doesn't tell us why exactly he wants to not go to Nineveh. We don't know for sure what the reasonings were. But there are possible explanations on why he doesn't want to go. The first is this. He hated the Ninevites with a passion. He didn't want them to be saved. In fact, he he probably had a reason for this. In the days of Jonah, there's another possibility. The northern kingdom, Israel, was attacked by the Assyrians. Not just one, one attack, but waves of them. Detachments of the Assyrian army would make raids down into the northern parts of Israel. And at times, they would actually capture entire towns killing many of the inhabitants, taking others captive. And while we don't know if this ever happened in his hometown, it's very possible that Jonah was living in his hometown of Gath-hepher at the time when the Assyrians made one of their raids, maybe into his hometown or, or the region around him. He may have seen some of his family, maybe friends of his, killed or taken captive. We don't know if any of this is true, but there's something that has caused this deep hate and resentment that Jonah has toward the Ninevites. And instead of wanting them to find the one and true God, he seems to want to abandon them to a spiritual death. That's not the common actions of a prophet of God. To Jonah, it would have been better that Nineveh was completely destroyed than to have the Assyrians live on and later attack Israel again. Jonah was not at all interested in seeing them saved, and he sent a clear message to God that there was no way he would willingly go to Nineveh. Which brings us to point number three. Jonah becomes the problem. God wanted Nineveh to hear that God loves them and that they need to repent. But Jonah, he had other ideas. At this point, Jonah became the problem. The problem. You know, there's an old saying that says, You can run, but you can't hide. And that definitely applied to Jonah. He seems to think that if he goes far enough in the opposite direction, he will eventually escape from the presence of God. This makes sense only if God's power is limited by location, but he's not limited like that. God is omnipresent, means he is everywhere. He's able to be every, in every single place, but Jonah doesn't seem to know that. If Jonah won't listen to God's word, then God will have to do something something significant to get his attention, and he does. Jonah's attempt to escape meets immediate opposition through an incredibly, incredibly violent storm. In the process, Jonah's rebellion will create all kinds of problems, not just for Jonah, but for the crew of sailors on the ship that he is traveling on. We read in verses four and the first part of verse five, it says, then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. Initially, Jonah may have thought that things are going his direction. I mean, you think about it. He made his way from Hefer to Joppa, and when he got there, lo and behold, he found a ship that was actually headed to Tarshish. I mean, he didn't have to wait all that long for that to happen. And then the ticket for this voyage was actually affordable. We read that he was able to pay the fare. And then in the next verse, we read that he went down below the deck of the ship And fell asleep. Not even the storm, as violent as it was, was able to wake him up. It's not clear how far from the port the ship had sailed before the storm hit. But it doesn't seem like it was very far. Because later in the text, verse 13, we read that the men did their best to try to row back to to the land. Which suggests they weren't that far off ashore. Since ships in that day typically wouldn't leave port when a storm was coming in, no one saw this one coming. In fact, it was almost like it happened instantaneously. This violent storm was totally unexpected by these experienced sailors who saw the gale force winds as supernatural in origin. It's clear to us, as we read the narrative, that God is responsible for this storm. But that wasn't the case for the sailors on that ship, Not at least not initially. The storm was so severe that it threatened to actually break this wooden vessel apart. The sailors were terrified. In fact, Most likely, they'd never experienced anything remotely close to the violence of this storm. They weren't sure that they were gonna live to tell the story of what it was like to be in that storm. Their emergency prayers were sent out to every available God, and when their prayers didn't work, they started throwing the cargo overboard to try to lighten the load, and even this fails to help them ride out the storm. We pick it up in the second half of verse 5. It says, But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. These seasoned sailors are freaking out. They had done everything they knew humanly possible to do and nothing had worked and they are sensing they are not going to survive this. The irony is that while they are in this frenzied panic, Jonah is sound asleep in the bottom of the ship. As the sailors are carrying the cargo out of the ship's hold to throw it overboard, they may have seen their passenger sleeping just soundly (laughs) in the bottom of the boat, and they report that to the captain. After they've prayed to all their pagan gods and they've emptied the boat of the entire cargo, then the captain wakes up Jonah and he demands that he pray to his God. And Jonah does wake up, but there's no mention in the text that he prays. I don't know if you see the irony here that there's a bunch of pagan sailors who are praying as though their life depends upon it, yet the prophet of God, he doesn't. You know, when we're in need, when we're in a crisis like these sailors were, whatever it might be in our life, when we're facing something really difficult, that is definitely a time to pray. Here's a key point about prayer. You do not have because you do not ask. The half brother of Jesus wrote that in the book of James. He wrote that in James chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. He says, You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend whatever you get on your pleasures. Jonah could have prayed. And had he prayed, it's very possible, highly likely, that God would have calmed the storm. Jesus did it. God certainly has the controls. The reason most people don't get what they want most from God is because they ask with the wrong motives, James says. And if Jonah wanted God to hear him, all he needed to do confess his sin, pray, asking God, recommit himself to being obedient to God. But Jonah wasn't anywhere near prepared to do that. Which brings us to the fourth point in our, in our talk today, and that's the sailors tried to figure out why the storm was happening. I mean, these, these guys are rather superstitious, and they are completely perplexed on why this storm was happening. The sailors concluded that the reason for the storm must have something to do with the actions of someone who is on the boat. They are all being punished for the actions of someone on that ship. So they cast lots to try to determine who is the guilty party was, and we we read in Jonah chapter one, verse seven, it says, then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Casting lots was a method of, that was used in ancient times, used by the Jews in the Old Testament, even used by the Christian disciples Prior to Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, they no longer needed casting lots, but prior to that, they would cast lots to determine the will of God. Now, lots could be sticks with markings on them or stones with symbols on them or some kind of dice. We're not really sure the exact nature of what they actually cast. But the closest modern practice to casting lots would probably be flipping a coin. And when the process was completed, the lot fell to Jonah, and the crew of the ship must have wondered, "Who is this guy?" I mean, it's possible they could have made that entire trip to Tarshish and many of the crew never having any encounter with this passenger Jonah. But now everyone's interested, "Who is this guy?" they don't know him. You know, earlier this week, I went to get my hair cut. I know what you're thinking. It doesn't take long, and you're correct. While I was in the chair, the girl who cuts my hair introduced me to a friend of hers, to which her friend says, you look so familiar. How do I know you? Or where have I seen you before? And the young lady who cuts my hair said, well, this is Monty Wilkinson, and he preaches at Northeast Christian. Maybe you know him from there. And The girl said, no, no, I don't think it's from there. I said, well, I I told her I used to work at Southland Christian a number of years ago. Maybe we had met there, and she said, oh, that's where my husband and I go. And I said, well, there you go. And she says, no, it's, it's not there. That's not how I know you. We continued to talk, and she was kind of trying to figure it out, and then all of a sudden, a couple minutes later, she burst in. She says, I know how I know you. I know where I know you from. You're on Shark Tank. You're the guy they call Mr. Wonderful. (laughs) Now, I don't know if that's an insult to me or to Kevin O'Leary, but she thought I looked just like him. The truth is she probably never met me before. She didn't know me. She maybe recognized me, but she didn't really recognize me. She recognized someone else. The sailors didn't realize who their passenger was. They didn't know he was a prophet of God. They didn't know he was on the run. They didn't know him. But once the lot fell on Jonah, they started asking questions to find out who he was and why he was on their ship. Verse eight says, so they asked him, tell us, Who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? Jonah had caused these guys plenty of heartburn, all kinds of trouble, and it wasn't over yet. He's a prophet, but he didn't share any message of God's love for them. So they want some answers from him. And so they pepper him with questions. Who are you? Where are you from? What have you done? And why are the gods so upset at you that they would cause this epic storm? And so he answers them, and when he does, they kind of flip out. Look at verses nine and 10. He says, he answered them. He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. When Jonah said that he worshiped the God who made the sea, well the sailors then knew. They had confirmation that They had been seeking this key piece of information. Given the storm that was raging all around them, they deduced that whatever Jonah had done, it had upset the God who had made the sea. And that's why they were about to die in this horribly violent storm. Jonah pays a price, but other people are paying it as well. Jonah is the problem. His disobedience to God is causing him to pay a price. It was Charles Spurgeon, I think, who said, God never allows his children to sin successfully. And he's not allowing Jonah to either. Jonah's rebelling, but he's not gonna get away. Jonah may have taken a detour when he ran away from God, but his story is far from over. In fact, God hadn't given up on him. God wasn't finished with Jonah. We read in verses 11 and 12 the sea was getting rougher and rougher so they asked him what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea he replied and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. What Can we do to you, they asked, so that the sea will calm down for us? The situation was continuing to deteriorate. It was bad when it started, it's only getting worse. The storm seems to intensify. Something has to be done, or the entire ship and the crew will be lost. And Jonah knows he's the cause. So he gives the sailors instructions basically says throw me overboard and then the sea will calm down. It's clear that Jonah does care about these sailors but being thrown into the sea would be an absolute death sentence for Jonah which means nothing has changed. Jonah would rather drown in the sea than obey God's plan and go preach in Nineveh. Look at verses 13 and following. He says, Instead, the men did their best to row back to, the, to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. And then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Brings us to point number five. Jonah is thrown overboard. The sailors initially rejected Jonah's Instructions to throw him overboard, but after exhausting every other option, they saw that the cause was hopeless. They asked Jonah, God, for forgiveness, and then they threw the prophet of God overboard, and then as soon as it happened, God calmed the storm. It was just like that. The sailors are saved, but Jonah is now facing a death, certain death. There's something rather surprising that has happened as a result of all of this running from God in the middle of a chaotic setting. There's fruit that's been produced while Jonah is in his full-throated disobedience. To God. He inadvertently introduces this group of sailors, the crew for this ship. He introduces them to God. After everything the sailors had been through and then seeing the storm immediately stopped, the text says they greatly feared God. And then they worshiped him through sacrifice and promises made to God. It is a surprising contrast that the sailors have more regard for God than the prophet of God did. God who calmed the storm, showing his power over nature, also moved a crew of pagan sailors to faith. And finally, he stopped his prophet from running. And then verse 17, probably the best-known verse in the entire book of Jonah. It says, now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. God provides an escape for Jonah. He is doomed in the, in the middle of the deep, and yet God sends a great fish that swallows him, And he spends three days and three nights in the belly of the fish. When you think about Jonah rebelling from God, running from God, there are two key takeaways that I want us to recognize and then we'll close. The first is this. Always obey God's plans. Always obey God's plans. Although Jonah tried to run away from God. God was in control. Jonah wasn't. By controlling the storm on the sea and the great fish, God displayed his absolute authority over all things, and yet he also displays his love for Jonah. Rather than running from God, always trust him with your past with what's going on in your present and even what may happen in your future. Saying no to God will quickly lead to some form of disaster or complication. Saying yes brings a new understanding of God and his purpose in this world. So it makes sense to say yes to God when he calls with a plan that he wants you to put into motion. The book of Jonah says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, which is an awesome privilege that the prophet of God had. God, his word was given to him. You know, we have been given a similar privilege that we get to hear from God as well. God's word, the Bible, is our source of truth, and it may be challenging at times. It may Sound strange or dangerous, it may require boldness to do what God asks us to do. At times, we may be inclined to ignore his plans, or like Jonah, we too may be tempted to run in the opposite direction, yet we should always obey God's word. The second takeaway is is this. We should share God's love. Share his love. You know, there's a camp song that I remember singing as a young camper at Central Iowa Bible Camp, and it was a song, Pass It On. Some of you will remember that song, bring back a sweet memory, I hope, for you. But the lyrics of that song really speak to this point. It only takes a spark to get a fire going, and soon all those around can warm up to its glowing. That's how it is with God's love. Once you've experienced it, you spread the love to everyone. You want to pass it on. The message of that song left a lasting impression on my life. Once you experience God's love, you will want to pass it on to others. Well, God had given Jonah a mission to go and preach to the great Assyrian city of Nineveh. But Jonah hated Nineveh. He hated the Assyrians. So he responded with anger and indifference. Jonah had yet to learn that God loves all people. But it's through Jonah God reminded the people of Israel of their missionary purpose, to share God's love, to pass it on. Once you experience it, make sure you share it with others. God wants his people to proclaim his love to the world, I wonder, is there someone that you should be sharing God's love with today? Somebody who comes to your mind, who you know could use a touch from God, and maybe you're just that person who could do something to bless them, that they would experience the love of God. God wants us to be his missionaries, his ambassadors, wherever we are and wherever he sends us to share his love. Well, let me close with this. If we can learn anything from Jonah, it is this. God has plans for you. And when he makes those plans known, run toward those plans. Don't run away from them. Always run toward them. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your prophet Jonah, a man with flaws, a man who rebelled against your call in his life, a man a lot like most of us. I pray, God, today for all your disciples, all those who are followers of yours, that we would be ambassadors of yours, that when you call us, when you call Give us your plans, your direction, and we will follow you. That we will, We will charge up those hills. God, help us to listen closely, to hear you. Give us courage, Lord, boldness to obey you. And God, I pray you'll put someone in our pathway today who needs to know you, who needs to know that you love them unconditionally. Use us, God, to be your ambassadors, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, hey church, I don't know about you, but I love
1: the story of Jonah for so many reasons, but mainly because it's just so relatable. Now, now, maybe not the being swallowed by a fish part, but the frustration and God's God's command, like, hey, Jonah, go and do this, and, and the frustration from Jonah and the disobedience, but ultimately ending in, in God's overwhelming grace and mercy and love. I'm just blown away every single time. And, and even that line, once you experience God's love, you'll want to pass it on, right? And it's it's not always easy. It's not always convenient. But God is using Jonah in this. This season's like, hey, Israel, this is your call. This is your decree to go and share, and it's it's the same for us to go and take God's love that's been extended to us and go and share it to our neighbor and our family. And so today, maybe you're sitting there and you're joining us for the first time, or maybe you've been tuning in with us for a while, but you feel God moving. You feel something stirring because of something you've heard in today's service. Hey, can I just encourage you to take a step of faith and reach out? We would love nothing more than to come alongside you and and walk and take your next step and your faith journey. You can do so in the comments. Throw a hand up. You can throw a thumbs up. You can you can ask for prayer there or you can click on the link in the comments and that's going to take you to fill out a connect card and we'll be joining in with you real soon and as we engage together and as we just build this community. It's always such a great time as we join together for worship and this morning we worship together through many ways and one of the ways we always end with is a gift of generosity as we worship in That way and it's listen it's not for you if you're tuning in for the very first time listen hear my heart it's not it's not for you this is for our owners here those have been here with us who said like yes i want to be a part of the mission and what god is doing at northeast christian church both in the 40509 and beyond and we want to say thank you because we couldn't do this without you stepping up and saying Yes, we couldn't throw big week-long parties for kids to come and learn about Jesus. We couldn't have awesome movie nights and we couldn't celebrate volunteers that make everything happen here at church. We, We couldn't do it without you. So no matter how you give, if it's through the app, if it's online, through the mail, we just wanna say thank you. Know that your investment here in Northeast is having a kingdom impact. And hey, that's all we have today. We hope that you were challenged and encouraged. Do not be afraid. Please. Reach out, take that step of faith. We'll be in touch with you real soon. And hey, we'll see you next week.